Please turn in the Word of God to Nehemiah chapter number 2. Nehemiah chapter number 2. I had prepared over this week to preach a message out of the book of Haggai. And the Lord had other plans. He woke me up at 2 o'clock this morning to tell me that. So I don't know who this is for, but I know that this is what God wants me to preach. Nehemiah chapter number 2, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to start reading in verse number 12 and read down through the end of the chapter. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 12 says, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what, God, and what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then, and then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned." And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest of them that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the, uh, the Hornonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn. And despised us and said, What is this thing ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Lord, thank you for another opportunity to stand behind this sacred desk. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth today would be your words and not my words. I pray that the people here today would receive the message that you have given me. Lord, I pray that you would be with those who aren't able to be here. I think specifically of Pastor and Miss Crystal. I pray that you would lift up Pastor and give him strength. Lord, I pray that you would heal him. Lord, I pray that you would be with this message today. I pray that you would give me utterance. I pray that you would help us as we understand in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you today just on a simple topic of the response to destruction. The response to destruction. How many of you like history here today? You like history. Okay, I enjoy history. I have trouble reading about history when it comes to a, a solid book of sitting down and I read through about history. I, I do better bits and pieces and piecing it along. So some history about, about the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem at this point is laying in waste. Okay, you, you go back, the reason why it wasn't waste is because you have the final fall of Jerusalem under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Okay? Nebuchadnezzar had sent his armies and they had surrounded Jerusalem to the point where they were cutting off everything going into Jerusalem and everything coming out of Jerusalem. They got to a point where eventually Nebuchadnezzar's men were able to get inside the walls, and once they were inside the walls, they took the city of Jerusalem. Some notable men that we would know coming out of um, the city of Jerusalem at this time would be people such as Daniel, some people such as um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those people were taken in the final fall of Jerusalem, taken back to um, Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. Various commentators will, uh, will go back and forth. Some, some will agree, some will disagree that Nehemiah was part of this group that left at the final fall of Jerusalem. That being said, it would explain how Nehemiah felt when he heard about the city of Jerusalem in chapter number 1. When he had somebody who came and he asked about the state of Jerusalem and the, and the man replied that the gates were still on fire. The walls were burned. Nehemiah wept bitterly. He cried, he fasted, and he prayed. It explains Nehemiah's response, but the city of Jerusalem has been broken down. If you go over the, uh, the book that I was studying and looking at was, uh, was Haggai, if you go over to Haggai, Haggai is dealing with um, the prophet Haggai that approximately 15 years before Haggai was written, approximately 50,000 Jews were sent back to Jerusalem. Their job going back to Jerusalem was to rebuild the temple. If you go over to Haggai, and I'm not asking you to turn there now, but if you read the book of Haggai, Haggai starts out, and Haggai starts out with a rebuke to the people of, of Jerusalem because they, they went back and they didn't build the houses. They didn't build the house of God. They built their own personal houses. They came back, and the house of God lied, laid in waste. That's where you get into that you have the book of Ezra coming, coming in, and Ezra goes back and he rebuilds the temple. You have Nehemiah who comes back at this point. Nehemiah, in the first half of Nehemiah chapter number 2, he's dealing with the king, Artaxerxes. And he's asking Artaxerxes for the supplies that he needs to be able to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to rebuild the gates. And God provides a miracle. God opens the door that Artaxerxes provides everything. And he provides whatever, whatever Nehemiah asked for. It was a big project that Nehemiah was asking for, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the gates. You, and you sit here in verse number 8, and Nehemiah makes that request to the king. It says, In a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make the beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And then the uh, last little bit of that verse, it says, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So a little background coming into these verses is that Nehemiah has everything he needs to come into the city of Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the gates, to, re to even build Nehemiah a personal house because, the, because of the hand of God on Nehemiah that he granted him the favor with the king. So we, we've entered in at this point to where we've started reading, and Nehemiah is at Jerusalem. 
And Nehemiah steps out in verse number 12 and it says, I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. So up until this point, Nehemiah had only heard about the destruction of his city. You see, Nehemiah, the last time he was leaving this city, I can, I can only imagine as Nehemiah is leaving and he's looking at the walls and he's looking at the gates being on fire while he's being taken away from his homeland. Nehemiah was heading to Babylon. You, you look at this back, and, ne and Nehemiah is coming back after, after the Jews have returned. Nehemiah is expected to see some work done. Nehemiah is expecting to see things rebuilt. But Nehemiah came back to the exact same thing he had left. Verse number 13, where it says, The walls which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. I can imagine the heartbreak in Nehemiah's heart showing back up to the place that he loved, the place that he was taken from, and seeing it in the same state in which it was left. Nehemiah saw the destruction. When I think about this in relation to the history that goes along with the, uh, with the final fall of Jerusalem, I think about this in our lives. I think about how in our lives we, we, we talk about having walls built up so that we don't allow sin to get into our lives, to seek and destroy inside of our lives. You see, we can put walls up all, uh, all we want. The, the problem that happened was that eventually at some point Nebuchadnezzar's army got inside the walls of Jerusalem. You see, if you go over to the book of Lamentations, chapter number 4 and verse number 12, uh, verse number 12 the Bible says this, it says, The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have been believed that the adversary, the enemy, should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. Lamentations 4.12 is showing the fact that there were people that didn't, couldn't even believe you could get into the gates of Jerusalem. So many thought that they wouldn't be able to get in. And honestly, when it comes to our personal lives, I feel like even in my personal life, we get to the point where we can say, okay, I am so good right now that I'm not going to be able to let in any sin. I'm going to be able to keep it out. I'm, I'm going to be able to live my right life. I'm not going to let it in. It's not going to destroy me. The problem that happened with Jerusalem in that final fall was that it, the men of Nebuchadnezzar's army was able to get in at some point. What happened when they got in? The city was destroyed. The challenge I want, I'm, I'm issuing here today is the fact that, listen, we as Christians, we, you know, we, we, we can set those walls all that we want. We have to stay right with God. We have to be able to keep those walls and keep our defenses strong so we can't allow this sin to come into our lives. We can't allow it to get in and, and wreak havoc across, of our, uh, across our lives to where we eventually break down and we fall. The city of Jerusalem ended up falling. I think about the fact that the city of Jerusalem also got comfortable in the state that they were in with that destruction. 
so comfortable in the fact that they didn't even notice that somebody was poking around in it. Verse number 16, Nehemiah chapter number 2, it says, And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. The people of Jerusalem had gotten to the point where they were comfortable living in the destruction that was there. They, and, they, and they were comfortable just sitting there day in and day out looking at the walls that were broken down and the gates that were burned with fire. I challenge us today that as we're living our Christian life, we don't get comfortable with the fact that there is sin that comes into our lives that we get it out. We say, okay, there comes a point that hey, when this sin starts even coming in that we have to say, okay, we got to get this right and we got to get it out of our lives. And we got to move forward. I think about not only the destruction that was there, but I think about Nehemiah's declaration in verse number 17. Nehemiah's declaration in verse number 17, it says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth wastes, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Okay, I, and there were a couple things I looked at when it came to Nehemiah's declaration. First, it was a revealing declaration. Nehemiah came along and he said, people of Jerusalem, you can see that the walls are laying in waste. You can see that there, uh, there's something wrong here. I think about this in my life. There comes a point where, uh, where people have to come into my life and they have to say, okay, hey, there's something wrong. I'm very thankful for our pastor, my dad, who I've grown up to, uh, with. I've, uh, I've lived with my enti- uh, almost my entire life, save this last year. My dad was that person who would come into my life and would look at me and say, hey, there's something wrong here. And it might even be something that personally I couldn't even see or I couldn't even pinpoint. Now, in Jerusalem's case, it was pretty blatantly obvious that the walls were were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. Nehemiah came in and he had this revealing declaration. Some other examples in scripture that I can think of when sin was revealed, I think about David. We have the prophet come up to him and explain the story about the sheep and owing back and forth. And he got to the point, he said, thou art the man with David and his sin with Bathsheba. David had the correct response. He repented. He got things right with God and he moved forward. I think about this re- revealing declaration and how it is in our lives that when, when sin is revealed, we, ha- we have to have the right response. I, I, of all people, I was talking to our teenagers this morning. I made this statement. I said, I am a stubborn man. Just stubborn. I said, a lot of that comes with pride. I said, I'm so stubborn in the fact that even if I'm wrong, I'm going to commit that I, uh, to that I am wrong and I'm going to stay with it. That's how stubborn I am. The problem is, is that in our Christian lives, we get so stubborn in our Christian lives, I'm saying we because this is me too, that we'll get stuck in our sin and we'll deal with it ourselves. We won't look for this person who's coming along saying, hey, there's something wrong here. We won't look for that person who comes along and say, says, hey, let me help you get out of this. 
Nehemiah didn't come along just to say, hey, people of Israel, your walls are broken down. You should probably fix that. He didn't come along to do that. Nehemiah came along to help them build. I challenge us, even in our lives, if, if we're the Nehemiah in this sense, don't just come up, up along somebody and say, hey, you got something wrong in your life. Pastor made the statement on, on Thursday night. He, he, said, he said, we could go through this room and list off people's faults and people's sin. He's like, but let's be honest, we could do the exact same thing with each of you here. You could pick out something in me. I'm just thankful that we don't do that. <laughs> and we don't sit here and say, okay, each of you guys need to write down on a piece of paper, pass it to the center aisle, and, I, and somebody will bring it up to me, and it'll be all my faults and all of my sin and everything I've got wrong in my life. Okay, we're thankful that stuff and kind of stuff doesn't happen. But when it happens on a personal level, and you have a brother or a sister in Christ who comes to you and says, hey, there's something wrong here. We need to be able to take that and move forward. I think about not only his declaration was a revealing declaration, but it was a revitalizing declaration. Okay? Revitalize just simply means to imbue with new life and vitality. Okay? And then, knowing me, I'm someone who has to look up the, what the definition of imdu is, and that just simply means to inspire with a feeling with a feeling or quality. Okay? So revitalize simply means to inspire with new life and and vitality. Okay? So Nehemiah inspired them to get out of the state of destruction. Okay, sometimes it takes another Christian to reach out. If you're seeing someone who's in that state of destruction, it might it might be worth it for you to reach out and say, "Hey, there might be something wrong here." But then if you're also being the Christian that's being reached out to, be humble enough to accept help. I can only imagine if the Jews in Jerusalem had said, we don't need any help here. Like, I get it. We see the walls are broken down. But like, they're fine. We're not worried about that. There's a big problem there. You think about it, the walls are the, are, are the very basis for defense. They're literally the, the first resort, the first line of defense for the city. You see, there was a reason that that needed to be rebuilt. Nehemiah also inspired them to take away the reproach. Having sin in our lives is a reproach against Almighty God. I think about if we live in a in constant state of destruction and a constant state of sin, it's a reproach against Almighty God. I'll use the example of uh, me and my family. Growing up, I was an absolute terror. My sister's back there mouthing, amen. Growing up, I was an absolute terror. I was off the walls. I had anger problems. I was absolutely insane. My parents, thankful to God for them, Whenever we would go and we would travel, we would be in multiple churches throughout a month. It was not a good testimony of, on my part, for my parents' part, if I was running around that church like a madman, personally. Does that, does that make sense? I was causing a reproach against my parents and how they were raising me. 
in our Christian walk and in, in our Christian lives, when we have sin in our lives, it's causing a reproach against dad, against our father, God. Nehemiah inspired them to take away the reproach. It's better to deal with sin and rebuild the walls than to let it kill us from the inside. Nehemiah, Nehemiah also declared how good God was in his life. I think uh, when Nehemiah showed up, it, it, it was one of those things where you get down to the end of it, and verse number 18 says, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Okay, there, and there came a point where Nehemiah used his own testimony when reaching out and helping other Christians. Okay, there are some people that have gone through some things that are able to help somebody else that I can't help them with. Just being honest. There are some things that I can help somebody with that honestly, there's probably a lot of people that have gone through it and I'm not probably the best to do it. But at some point, rehearsing how good God has been to us to be able to get and get through some things. Think about Nehemiah's testimony coming back to these people. Like I asked, I asked the king to one, relieve me of my position so I can come out here, which Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. He, he was a very trusted man because he tested everything going to the king. He was the man who tasted everything, who drank everything before, and before the king tasted it or drank it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. You, you had to be a very trusted person to be right there because you had to be trusted that you could taste it, but then not add the poison yourself after you've tasted it. Nehemiah was a trusted individual. But then Nehemiah also asked him to be able to go. He asked him to be able to have safe passage getting over there. And he asked him for the wood to be able to rebuild everything. Think about Nehemiah's testimony to these people, how good God was to them. And the testimony of God coming back to these people. In our Christian lives, God's been too good to us to have us sit there in our sin. To have us sit there in our sin. But I don't even want, I, I don't want to get stuck on the declaration from Nehemiah. I want to think about the determination from Nehemiah and from the nation. Nehemiah's determination, number one, started out for, uh, from the, his love for God. Nehemiah loved God, and it drove him for, uh, to do what, he, uh, what God wanted him to do. In our personal li lives, I think about what drives us. I, I've, I've been married for a month now. There are certain things that my wife wants me to do that I personally don't really like to do. But because I love my wife, I will go do it. I think it's comical because I can, it feels weird even saying it because I've been married for a month. I know that there are Christians and there are men and, and ladies in this crowd who have been married a lot longer than I've been alive that would say there are still things <laughs> that their wife asks them to do that they might not like. But as much as I will go and I will do that, even more so in our lives when it comes to God. God has done so much for us, given us salvation, given us a home, a home in heaven, given us the comforter here on earth, the hope, the peace, the joy, the love, long-suffering, everything that, that comes from being a child of God. He's been too good to us. I think about Nehemiah's determination, his love for God, but then 
his love for God's people. Nehemiah had a desire to see God's people be brought back to the point of seeing God work. Can I challenge you that if somebody comes up to you, they might be looking at you and saying, hey, I want to see God do awesome things in your life. I want to see God work in a, in a way that like he has worked in my life. And how good God has been to me, I want him to be that good to you. Thinking about that, but I also think about the nation's determination as well. The nation's determination, they followed the man of God. I think about a pastor's not here this morning. The faithfulness to follow the vision and the joy and the plan coming from the pastor, the man of God. I think about it, we, and we bought this property back, I think it's six years ago now. And you walk into a metal shell building. Okay, now honestly, I am not like my dad. I can't just visualize things. The vision of my dad coming in to be able to look at this metal building and see this, I didn't see it. Just being honest. I was willing to work because that's what a pastor's son does. He just works. <laughs> I was willing to come in and work with my dad and be able to do whatever needed to be done, but I, didn't, I could not see the vision that my dad was seeing of coming in here, the plan for building this up. But can I tell you that there was, there was a group of people that they followed the man of God. And they, and they followed him in faithfulness to, uh, to being here at church, to be, uh, faithfulness even coming out and working with us. I think about some of the people who came during that time of building. I think about a Steve and Deb Worrell that showed up and then they started working with us here and they got, and got a desire to work with um, the group of missionary builders and are out on the road right now because of the fact that we, we were following the man of God and the vision that was put in his, in his life. Okay, the determination from, eh, from the nation to follow the man of God, but also from the nation to rebuild that which was destroyed. The determination to, eh, to rebuild that which was destroyed. There comes a point in each and every one of our lives where we have the choice when we have sin in our lives that we have to decide whether or not we're going to get it out or whether we're just going to sit here and let it fester. I think about the example that has been given before um, where you have a bunch of oranges inside a bag inside your fridge. You have one orange that goes bad and it gets all, all like green and moldy. And if you don't know anything about oranges, they're not supposed to be green and they're not supposed to be moldy. Um, they're not good that way. Okay. But the problem is, is that if you don't get that orange out of there, it starts to corrupt the other oranges in that bag. It starts to get to a point where, where the, the green, the mold, they start to spread and it starts to corrupt the entire bag. Same thing happens in each and every one of our lives with sin. If we let sin get inside our lives, it's just going to start eating away. Like I said earlier, it's better to just get it right with God and move on than to let it kill us from the inside. The nation had that determination to be able to step up and say, okay, we're going to get this thing right. We're going to make a move and get, rebuild the walls to be able to make sure that we're, we're set up and we're, we're looking like what God wants us to look like. The nation had that determination. But can I tell you that 
with all the good that we and we're talking about in the at, and towards the end of this chapter of scripture there's deterrent that comes up there's deterrent verse number 19 the bible says but when sanballat the hornonite and tobiah the servant the ammonite and geshem the arabian heard, heard it they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? There's always going to be somebody who comes up and asks you, what are you doing? I think about it very simply. Um, I, I've been working on some stuff um, at a hotel, opening up my eh, open up my Bible, working on my computer. And there have been some things that are just chuckled about because you sit there with an open Bible. And when you start talking to people in the world, it's amazing how quickly people will start laughing about some of the stuff we do. You mean that you guys just bought 10 acres just by faith? that God was going to provide and that God is going to pay it off and that God's going to help you build buildings over there. And yes, <laughs> that's what we did. There are going to be people out there that think that we're crazy. I mean, let's be honest, I am a little bit crazy. Just ask the teenagers. <laughs> there comes a point, though, that you have to make sure that you are so determined for living for God that it doesn't matter what somebody else says. I made the statement in Sunday school. We talked. We talked about that. There, there has to come a point where you say for you, not for anybody else, not for pastor, not for Miss Crystal, but for you that you're you're saying I'm going to live for the Lord, and that I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going and I'm going to make sure that my walls are built, that I'm moving forward for God. These three, eh, three men started laughing them to scorn. The devil is always going to have somebody to oppose you. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I think about it. Um, how many of you guys like to hand out tracts? Like gospel tracts. You like to hand them out. Okay, how many of you guys don't like to hand them out? Okay. I understand. As outgoing as I am, that's something that's really hard for me to do is handing out a gospel tract. Okay, I will stand there and talk to somebody all day long about whether double stuff Oreos are better than single stuff Oreos. But when you get down and when the rubber meets the road to just walk up to somebody and hand them a gospel tract, it's hard for me. There's always something inside of me that's like, "Well, what if they don't take it? They're not rejecting me." They're not. They're rejecting God. I have to get to a point where I'm sitting here saying, okay, I love God enough that even with these people who just laugh at me for going around and handing out gospel tracts, that I'm still going to go and do it. I think about these three guys right here on the front row. Without fail, unless it's weather-related, these three guys are out on, uh, on Main Street handing out gospel tracts Sunday afternoons, Right? Just unless it's weather-related, health-related, something like that. At some point, there's pro and it's probably already happened. I feel like it has because I feel like I've heard stories that somebody is going to come up and try to deter them 
from handing out gospel tracts down on Main Street. It's happened. Has that stopped you? No. You guys are going out today, aren't you? Oh, you're not. It's weather related. (laughs) See, this is what happens when you do on-the-fly sermon illustrations. Of course, I should check the weather. This uh, This being said, though, they still go out and they still go hand out gospel tracts. They didn't stop at the first person who rejected a gospel tract and said, well, I guess I'm never handing out a gospel tract again. That's like if you talk to, there, there are some, some children who absolutely love, I think about Titus and Savannah, they love Paw Patrol. Absolutely love Paw Patrol. I've never seen Paw Patrol in my life. But they love it. It's like a, it's a little kid's show with dogs, right? Okay. <laughs> they love Paw Patrol. Okay. Me saying that I've never seen Paw Patrol in my life, if I were to look at them and say, I don't like Paw Patrol, they probably, probably would look back at me and be like, I don't care. <laughs> I like Paw Patrol. I want to challenge each and every one of us. We chuckle at, at a little kid's determination like that and be like, oh, they just, they love what they're... How much more in our Christian lives do we get all busted up at the fact that somebody doesn't like what we're doing? I think about it, if these three men had completely stopped the building at Jerusalem because they laughed them to scorn and very simply said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? They didn't even know that the king had sent Nehemiah (laughs) out here and given him liberty to do this. There's always deterrent. But can I tell you this, verse number 20, where there's deterrent, there's also deliverance. Verse number 20, the Bible says, Then answered I them, Nehemiah talking here, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial. Deliverance comes from God. I think about 1 Corinthians 10.13, says, There hath no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. There's always a way to escape. There's deliverance. That being said, deliverance comes from God. Sometimes we have to look for it too. Can I tell you, if you are so set on the fact that you are going to go and go commit this sin, you're not going to be looking for a way to escape. Am I wrong? If I am set on exiting that door right there, I'm not going to look at the fact that I can exit this door right here. Now, it's an inconvenient exit because you walk down, you have to walk through the gravel and all this. I could walk on pavement. But do you, under, and do you understand that when it comes to our lives, that when we have the opportunities to sin, God has given us a way of escape. God has given us that way to be able to make sure that sin doesn't get into our lives and sin doesn't destroy us. I think about that here with in Nehemiah. Nehemiah allowed God to be able to give the, the deliverance. You think about it, when Nehemiah had heard about the city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah could have sat back and been like, well, that's pretty terrible. 
you know, I'm sitting here in a pretty nice life. King's Palace, take, eh, being the king's cupbearer. But Nehemiah allowed himself to be used by God to help bring the deliverance. I think about in our, in our lives, there comes a point of being free from sin. There's deliverance there. Bible talks about in Romans that the wages of sin is death. It's a pretty gloomy outlook. The wage, wage is just something you get for a, something you earn. I think about it, the hourly wage. I think the minimum wage here in New Hampshire is seven twenty-five an hour. So by law, the minimum you can make for an hour is seven dollars and twenty-five cents. That's a minimum wage. That being said, if I go work an hour and I've agreed to be paid seven twenty-five. That's what I'm going to get. And then you have taxes and all this other stuff that is out there. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If we sin, what we deserve for the wage is death. But I'm thankful that that verse didn't stop there. See, if my wife was here, this is the only th- time ever that I would say that I love English. Okay, because there's a little a little word there called a, um, I believe it's called a, con- a conjunction, and it's the word but. It says the uh, the the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That little word but combines two phrases that would otherwise be separate. It puts them together. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has provided a way of deliverance for each and every one of us to be free from sin. I think about it. He he paid the ultimate price for us to be able to have that deliverance. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. Romans 5, 8 says, um, says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That point of saying, okay, that even when we were in our worst state, Jesus came down and he died for us. My, and one of the favorite things I look at in the Bible is the fact that Jesus told his disciples, he said, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And the fact that Jesus died for me when I didn't even know Jesus. And when I was in my worst state as a sinner, Jesus looked down and he said, that's my friend. How many of us sitting here today can say that we have at least one friend? One, like, one friend. Some of us are sitting here going, one. Okay. Jesus looked down at us when we weren't even considering Jesus. And he said, they're my friend. I think about it. Brother Caleb Kleitz, he's going to preach this afternoon. Um, he was my roommate in college. I consider Brother Caleb my friend. Brother Caleb and I have gone through some crazy things, but he's still my friend. Jesus went through the ultimate thing for us. Jesus died for us. And we get the opportunity to call him our friend. In closing, I want to challenge you to not let sin inside your walls. Don't let it destroy you. But if you already have let it 
inside your walls, don't sit there in the destruction. Get it right. Rebuild those walls and move on. Continuing on, if you have somebody who comes up and makes that declaration to you of saying, hey, there's something wrong here. It might be God using that person to be able to help you get something right. Let God help you. Don't be deterred by people. Be determined in what you're going to do for God. And understand that the deliverance only comes from God. God. 